Well, you can open up your Bible this morning, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to draw your attention this morning to verses 1 and 2. I've given the title of this sermon, Walk the Talk. Pretty common statement. You hear it all the time. But Paul is really emphasizing it as he starts here in this most glorious chapter. And I hope that you're really enjoying your study through the book of Ephesians because it is so powerful. Uh, and uh, so let's just dive right in here. Look at verse 1 uh, and 2 with me, if you will. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Paul starts off here in verse 1 saying, I, therefore... Of course, the word therefore, you know what it means. It means that what he's about to say is based on, or better yet, it is the conclusion of, uh, that is being based on what he has said previously uh, in, in the previous chapter. And, and what did he say? Well, in the last chapter, you know, Paul went to great lengths to tell us all that Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us how that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and, and how that we have boldness and access with confidence that we might come boldly unto the throne of grace. His prayer in the previous chapter was that God would grant to you according to his riches and glory, that you would be strengthened in the Holy Spirit in the inward man and that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love and that we might comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length and the depth and the height and what we would know and that we would know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Now, because of all that that he said before, Paul said, therefore I, as the prisoner of the Lord, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, is what the word beseech is. I'm imploring you. Literally, you know, just getting on his knees, if you will, before you, saying, look, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. Throughout the centuries, uh, within the body of Christ, the church has made a grave mistake in emphasizing the works of the believer, or I should say, the proper works of the believer or the right works of the believer, however you want to put it. Uh, but they've emphasized this over everything else that, that, that God has said. Now, in the first three chapters, if you've been paying attention, and I know you have, you know, this thing that Paul's trying to get us to see that he has laid out all that God has accomplished for you and me, both through and in Jesus Christ. He has went to great lengths, as I said, 
to make this abundantly clear, Ephesians chapters 1 and 3, it, it is so plain. But yet it's not the only place that Paul makes what Jesus has done for you and me abundantly clear. Uh, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, in the book of Romans, you know, Paul really dedicates an enormous portion of the Scripture to the righteousness that is by Jesus Christ and how he has imputed that righteousness to us and, to, you know, by faith alone. And he went to great lengths. Thus, the book of Romans is really the quintessential epistle for understanding thoroughly the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of grace as taught by the Apostle Paul. So Paul told us in, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, he said, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The gospel, that is the good news. You know, that Jesus Christ came is what Paul's saying. And he did for you, my friends, that which you could never have accomplished by yourself. Though many have tried, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were great examples of trying to achieve a relationship with God based upon their own effort with miserable effects. Jesus called them hypocrites because it's impossible to do. Jesus has to be the one who did it. He kept the entire law, you see fulfilling all 613. So often, the Gentile church comes to an understanding that somehow that the Ten Commandments is the, is the culmination of all the law. And it's far from the truth. The fact is, the law contains 613 commandments that uh, we are to adhere to in order to achieve perfection. Of course, it's an impossible task. God knew that, which was why the Bible says that Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. So Jesus came really from the very beginning and did for us, for all of mankind, that which we could not do for ourselves. And so he fulfilled all the law and, and by the sinless life that he lived. Thus Jesus could honestly say, I do always those things which please the Father. Then, by faith alone, he imputed his righteousness to you and to me. That's good news. <laughs> Absolutely it's good news. Because we don't have any righteousness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that our righteousness, that is what we could achieve on our own by trying to be good, it's like filth, filthy rags. <coughs> Pardon me. It's like filthy rags. It's impossible. We can't achieve it on our own. The Apostle Paul took us, really, uh, and then in the book of Hebrews, by the hand, and he leads us uh, through this historical journey, if you will, about the Arianic priesthood, showing us 
the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. So the book of Romans, you know, he points out all the things that Christ has done, the righteousness of Christ and how it's imputed to you. And then in the book of Hebrews, he talks about the superiority of Jesus's priesthood, which was a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. All the things that Jesus has done for you and for me. Paul covers it. That's why every time I do a study in the book of Romans, I always couple it with Romans and Hebrews. I like doing them together because you get the whole picture of what it is that Jesus has really accomplished, what he has done for you. Now, because he is the Son of God, whose blood was absolutely perfect. Why? Because his father was God. He, he didn't have the ancestry that you and I do. Our ancestry goes back to our great-grandfather Adam, who, because of his sin, passed on his iniquity to all of his progeny, of which you and I are. But Jesus Christ, not so. His father was not Adam. His father was God. Therefore, he had no sin nature. And so he was able to do that which no man could ever have done, and that is to live a life of perfection, complete sinlessness, fulfilling each and every law. And then, by grace alone, he imparted that to you when you believed on him. So in Hebrews 7.25, you know, Paul says, Wherefore Jesus is able also to save them, that's you and me, to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Remember, we have to come to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no man can come unto the Father but by me. But it says that he's able to save them to the uttermost who come to God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for them. The good news of Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for you. The Gentiles, he said, who were afar off, who were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, has he now reconciled and brought near and has grafted them into the vine and made all of us, Jew and Gentile, in him one in Jesus Christ. Once again, Paul said, there in Ephesians 4.1, he said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you have been called. Now I have to admit, when I think about all that Jesus has done, when I ponder, my friends, the depth of his love, of his grace, of his mercy that he has bestowed upon me through faith alone, when I realize all that he has suffered on my account. I can relate to the Apostle Paul, who in the previous chapter said, I bow the knee to the, my knees to the Father. You know, in, in, in admiration of what Jesus Christ has done, it drops me to my knees in gratitude. It's not so much the position of my body, you see, but my friends, it is the condition and the position of the heart is what Paul was saying. While many denominations and non-denominations alike emphasize the works that the believer should be doing for God, 
Paul emphasized what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, the riches that we have in the Lord, all that Jesus Christ has done. And it is innumerable. John, at the end of his gospel, said that if all the books had been written about all the things that Jesus had done, the world could not contain them. But we have what we are told, and we have enough that we might believe, and God has revealed himself uh, so clearly in the Scriptures and all that he has accomplished on your behalf. Oh, it's good news. It's great news. In Philippians 2.12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a verse that many denominations emphasize. I remember in the last church that I was affiliated with, the pastor there used to love to quote that all the time because he believed in his heart that somehow he had something to do with it. But I used to tell him, read on, brother, read on. Listen, Paul was not giving a list or a mandate as to what should be done. What he was saying was, if you read the rest of it, for it is God that is in you, who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You see, Paul wasn't saying, here's what you need to do, but that you were to you know, to work out your own salvation, you know, somehow by yourself. But what he was saying was that because it is God that works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure, then your life will be a conduit, if you will, a conduit of the life that represents Jesus Christ. Not, not one that's self-motivated, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not something that you're doing, but in reality is a Christ-centered God-motivated thing. It's God that is in you doing the work. He does the work, and it manifests itself in a very physical sense in my life. Paul said, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation. What is my vocation? Well, you're called, really, in the Scriptures to be an ambassador. That's what the Bible calls you. You're a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the gospel. In fact, in many of your Bibles, you're probably holding in front of you to this morning, the word vocation here in verse 1 is often translated representative. So e even in this verse, Paul is not simply giving instruction, but he's merely calling attention to the correct response that the believer should have to the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. Years ago, I heard an old preacher say that we should simply have an attitude of gratitude. Paul says, walk worthy of the vocation. You know, so it's the same thing. Have an attitude of gratitude. A great illustration of this, really, uh, is found in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had been brought before the council. Maybe you remember it, but it's there in 4.13. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, 
they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. See, I want you to observe that they took notice that these men had been with Jesus. They, they made note of it. it. It stood out at them. It jumped out at them. Even though they said these men were ignorant, they were unlearned. It simply meant that they weren't college degree guys. But the fact that they had been with Jesus was something that jumped out at the council. The reality is, is that you cannot be in the presence of Jesus and not be affected. You cannot claim to know Christ and not have his life touch your life. This is really the heart of what Paul was getting at when he said, walk worthy of the vocation. No doubt he brought this up because he had too many people and, and of course, this is applicable to today, who were claiming the name of Christ, and yet because of ignorance or a lack of discipleship, their lives were virtually indistinguishable from those whom they were trying to win. This is a problem. As I said, even today, it causes confusion within the body of Christ. It causes confusion to those who are in the world when they see it. Paul's admonition to you and to me is to walk worthy of the vocation that we were, you know, that we would represent the Lord correctly. Now, in fact, he's going to tell us when we get to verse 17 that you would henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So we're not to walk that way. You see, if you're born again, if you're genuinely born again, then that life is not you anymore. That was you, Paul said, you know, and such were some of you, but now you're washed, now you're clean. You're, you're no longer that way. Now you are an ambassador for Christ. Now you are a representative of the Lord. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you are sealed, he, he's going to tell us, unto the day of redemption. It's our response, you see, to God. To the goodness of God. To the glory of God. That, that should be one of gratitude. That should be our response. In reality, the simplicity of it is, is that it really is just our yielding, if you will, to the Holy Spirit in order for us to walk the talk. Today, it has been, in time past, it's easy to say that I believe in God. Many people do. As a matter of fact, I heard a, a study the other day that said that surveyed that over 60% of every person surveyed uh, that 60% of the United States believe in God. You certainly couldn't tell it by the way things are done. But many people say it. You know, I believe in God. I believe there's a God. 
Well, in the book of James, you know the verse. The half-brother of Jesus showed us the error of that thinking. When he said, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The problem many people say they believe, my friends, they just don't tremble. You can acknowledge is the point, the truth of God's existence. You can do that and not be part of the chosen. The devil believes and he's not chosen. Thus, the person can say that they believe in God and show no signs of regeneration. Too often, I heard Pastor Chuck say one time, People will go to a Billy Graham, or in this particular case today, a Greg Laurie crusade. And they come, they go forward and they fill out the little decision card. This is the hour of decision. And they filled out that little card, and yet five years down the road, their life shows no more sign of regeneration than anything. There's no difference, you see, no change. What happened? Well, we're not sure. Time will tell. But no doubt, when the Holy Spirit comes into a man's life, he's a new creature, we're told in you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So then the Holy Spirit becomes the driving force in our life. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God, those he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son. See, it's by the Spirit. Thus, when the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work, you see, then our lives will represent the Lord in a proper way. And we will walk worthy of the vocation wherein we have been called. The Pharisees, once again, tried to put the cart before the horse, as many people do. They emphasize the works, you see. But Jesus said, oh, you know, th this doesn't work. He said, you know, you're like a whitewashed sepulcher. Oh, you look great on the outside. You know, they didn't smoke. They didn't chew. They didn't go with girls that do. But he said on the inside, they were full of dead men's bones. Why? Because works that are being done to achieve a relationship with God that are not motivated by the, the, the Holy Spirit from a genuine regenerated life are worthless. They're dead works. They mean nothing, even if they're done in the name of God. Paul is calling us to allow the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, you know, that's what he's called, the one who walks alongside. We are to allow him to not only walk alongside, but we are to allow him to walk the talk for us. Because of all that Jesus has done for us, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, he doeth the talking. Jesus said, when he is come, he will not speak of himself, but he will speak of me. And because of that, because of the fullness of the Holy Ghost, it's in our lives. If we will simply yield to that, then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak and we will represent the Lord in a way that is accurate, that accompanies a genuine calling and vocation. Matter of fact, 
Paul will eventually tell us in verse 29 of chapter 4. To let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, except that which is good to edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Now, the word corrupt there in, in that verse Paul uses here means to, to have moral corruption. It means to say stuff that just is not fitting, you see. You've heard the term talking like a sailor. And we often think when we hear that term of people who use, you know, crass language and vulgarities and those type of things. And no doubt it means that. But it actually means so much more. Think of filthy jesting and those type of things. It it all encompasses that. Or things that are just not edifying. You can see really and understand the validity of what Paul was trying to say. All you have to do is think about someone who is in a position of authority, and we've all seen it, and then allow them to start to spew profanity in a public forum. The lack of respect that you have for that person is almost instantaneous. Why? Because they are behaving in a way that is unbecoming of their position, you see. I remember years ago, I remember watching a training film on this very issue in which there was an elderly woman who was in the video, a a grandmother type. And she looked very grandmotherly. You know, she had on the typical garb of a grandma. She just looked like a good old grandma. And yet they were there on the street, and the man who was doing the interviewing began to ask some very pointed questions of Grandma. And then all of a sudden, Grandma began to spew profanities and began to use the F-bomb and other colorful explicitives. At the end of the training video, you were asked to evaluate uh, that, that situation. You know, how, how did you interpret it? Was it funny? You know, was it repulsive? Was it embarrassing? Was it confusing? Even as a young man, when I saw that, I didn't find it funny at all. But I certainly found it repulsive and embarrassing. It was unbecoming of a person of her age. She was not walking worthy as a representative of grandmas. You see, if we are ambassadors of Christ, this is what Paul's saying. We are to represent Christ in order that we might win the lost to Christ. People are hurting, my friends. Those who are lost, who the Lord is drawing, are looking for answers. They're looking for a way out of their sin, if you will, and deliverance from that sin. But if we, as the ambassadors, the representatives of the Lord, if we look no different than they do, if we appear to have the same problems, you see, they're not going to listen to us. They're going to view our profession of faith as an embarrassment and confusion. Paul said, walk worthy of the vocation, be of the representation that you have, wherein you've been called. Be cognitive. 
of how you represent Christ in a public form. Now, no doubt, we have all failed in this very issue. We've all done things that have been misrepresentations of Christianity and certainly have misrepresented the Lord. We've all done it. We've all had our moment. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know it and I know it. We've had this moment of stupidity where we did something that totally misrepresented the Lord, even if it was in a public forum. But this is not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about the brother or sister who for some reason in their life has, at, at a given moment is having a bad day and says something or does something that misrepresents Christ. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is the lifestyle. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about the abundance of these things. In fact, you know, Paul's going to go on there in verse 22 of chapter 4, and he's going to tell us to put off the former conversation. That word conversation, some of your Bibles say manner of life. That we should put off the former manner of life. The old man, you see, which is corrupt according to its deceitful lust. It's not to be your lifestyle. Why? It's not you anymore. It's not you. But because of all that Christ has done, you know, because of all that he's done, because of all that God has accomplished for you through him, let Christ dwell in your hearts richly, Paul said. You know, and in your minds and in your souls, let your love for him be expressed in the things that you do as an act of gratitude. That's what Paul's asking us to do. And with your mouth, from the abundance of the grace that is in it, let it speak forth the truth of Christ. So you are to walk worthy of the vocation wherein you were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. And the word forbearing means to put up with. And we so often have to do that with each other. You see, all the things that we have been talking about, all the things that Paul was pointing us to, really the, are the attributes of Jesus Christ when you think about it. These are the things that are worthy of our vocation. These are the things that represent Jesus Christ, the lowliness and meekness. You remember back in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I'll read it for you. Here's what Jesus said. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's interesting here. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, what's he saying? Well, let me tell you what he's not saying. What he didn't say was to learn what I did or learn what I do. He said to learn of me. Like what? Like what he had come to do like his relationship, all the things that Jesus has done on your behalf. 
Jesus said, learn of me. Because when we realize all that Jesus has done, you know, the vicariousness of his life for you, the imputation of his righteousness to you, the fact that he stands at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, when you learn of those things of Jesus and how they apply to you, then you realize that his yoke genuinely is easy and his burden is light because he's the one doing it, my friends. He's done it for you. And my response to that, of course, will be one of gratitude. In Ephesians 4, 20 and 21, Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ, talking about that old conversation, that old way of life, you know, he said, you haven't learned that that's okay to live that way. You've not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're called to walk worthy of the vocation. Be a representative of the Lord. Not just in the things that we do, Paul encouraged us, but in the things that we say. How do I do that, Doug? Like I told you before, yield to the Holy Spirit. If you're genuinely born again, my friend, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Ghost unto the day of redemption. Contemplate on the things of the Lord. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn of him. And as you bask in those things, as you see the favor that God has lavished upon your life, then simply let the Holy Spirit speak of him through you. Let the Holy Spirit be the one who doeth the works. It really is that simple. So here is the challenge. Walk in the Spirit, my friends. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Paul said. Walk in the Spirit, and you will walk worthy, and you will be a gracious representative of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his calling. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who at this most crucial point in history, are being called, Lord, Father, to allow the Holy Spirit to help us, Father, to be the, your representat- representatives, Lord, Father, that, that we might win others to you. You said if I be lifted up, Lord, that you would draw all men to yourselves. And Lord, you have chosen to be lifted up through your church and Help us, Lord Father, to do that accurately. Forgive us, Lord Father, when we fail to do that and when we have misrepresented you. But Lord, you said it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Lord Father, help us to yield our lives as instruments and a conduit of your blessing to all those who come in contact with us. Help us to be bold, Lord Father, not just to come to the throne of grace, but that we might be bold in the world in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as we're praying, I want to speak to those of you, whether you're listening here or by radio, 
who have never really made a commitment to Christ, maybe your life has never shown the fruit of forgiveness. You know, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Maybe your life has never been different. Maybe there's no difference between the way that you were and the way that you are, even though you claim the name of Christ and even though you attend church. Listen, my friend. I'm imploring you, as the Apostle Paul said, to revisit the Lord. And I'm going to pray with you because in this most crucial time, as we are drawing near to the coming of Christ, there's no time to waste. There's no time to be guessing where we stand with the Lord. We need to make our calling and election sure, as the Apostle Paul said. And you can do that right now by simply praying a very simple prayer. Now, if that's you, if you want to make that sure, if you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that should the Lord return or should you die, that you would be with him in heaven, then simply pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, Father, Lord, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, Lord, Father, and that my life before you is wretched. And Lord, I have sinned against you. But Lord, I also believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is your son and that you have raised him from the dead and that he has imputed his righteousness to me, Lord Father, and I receive it by grace and through faith in you. Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for allowing me to hear the gospel and to respond. I receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. My friend, if that were you, if you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you have listened to this broadcast and now you feel assured of your destination in heaven, I'd love to hear from you. You can write me at, at uh, Calvary Chapel, Newark. That's CCN43055 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Give me the story of his glory in your life. That's CCN43055 at gmail.com. Until next time, my friends, God bless each and every one of you as you walk and allow the Holy Spirit to work out the salvation he does so freely and so good and so graciously through your life. Be a representative of the Lord. God bless you. We'll see you next time. We love you.